0: Welcome back to Big Mood, Little Mood. I am your host, Danny M. Lavery, and with me in the studio this week is Gina Green, a strategist, consultant, slash movement builder, now helping Jewish and other organizations change through her new firm, Uprise. She's also the co-host, along with Lynn Harris, of the Jewish Advice podcast, A Bental Brief.
1: Gina, welcome to the show. Thank you. It is so great to be here.
0: I am so pleased that you're here, and I'm also pleased because for a brief moment, I was able to take credit for the phrase, get off the cross, we need the wood. And that made me feel incredibly good about myself because it was just like, yeah, that'd be really clever if I had come up with that.
1: When I read it, I was like, wow, that's really good. (laughs) Whoever came up with that. And now you're telling me that it is an old saying. It's been around the
0: block several times. You know, un- unfortunately, I think at this point, like any new observations about the crucifixion, like they've just all they've they've come <laughs> up. It's been long enough at this point that that probably no one's going to arrive at like a fresh, fresh take. There are no,
1: no new fresh takes in the crucifixion. Imagine that
0: one could always be wrong. Um, there's there's so <laughs> often in life. There's more to learn, but I I do think this one has been like pretty thoroughly excavated. You might be accurate. You might be right on that point. <laughs> possible well given (laughs) given that how would you feel about reading that first letter let's do it shall I hop right in please
1: Jane and I have been friends for over 20 years she has an incredibly strong fear of abandonment diagnosed anxiety and depression and has generally struggled with relationships over the years she also has great qualities she's smart puts a lot of time and attention into planning parties and special events and is always there when someone's going through a rough time. But she holds her friends to impossibly high standards. If someone rain checks on a weekly get-together that they've otherwise religiously attended, and she doesn't think their excuse is good enough, they're selfish. If I ever have to cancel or postpone something with her, I drag my feet because I dread the inevitable backlash. Honestly, the pandemic was kind of a relief. Life slowed down, and I didn't need to find an excuse to stop overextending myself. I knew Jane was lonely and tried to keep in touch with weekly Zoom happy hours and outdoor walks. But Jane has this narrative that all her friends abandoned her during the pandemic and rants about people who fled into relationships or child-rearing and that despite everything she'd done for everyone over the years, all of her friends prioritized their partners and their children and forgot about her in the process. Lately, she's been talking about how she finds comfort in the story of Jesus who was also abandoned by his friends. I don't have a religious background, but that's the gist I got from her. I'm indifferent to Jesus talk, generally, but tired of hearing these self-sacrificing comparisons. The narrative she's creating is inexplicable, tragic things happen to really good people who don't deserve it. When I'm inclined to say, well, if everyone else is driving on the wrong side of the road, maybe. I have no doubt COVID was incredibly lonely for her. But it seems like her real problem is that she can't seem to enjoy her own company. Is there a magic pill I can take to repair our friendship that doesn't require difficult things like open communication? I've made the mistake of excusing away her behavior while letting my resentment simmer. Now that it's reached a boiling point, I feel like I can't address one transgression without unloading a litany of complaints, which doesn't feel entirely fair to her either.
0: Woo-wee! I appreciated – I feel like this letter writer is at least somewhat familiar with this kind of question (laughs) um, that does pop up in the show occasionally. Because I I felt like that line, is there a magic pill I can take to repair our friendship that doesn't require talking, was like, I I know it's probably going to involve some degree of talking. Correct, Um, yes. And and I appreciated that because, yeah, this is one of those things where, you know, this is a a situation where the letter writer has avoided intervention – at, at every, every turn, turn for years yes, and years. And that's not to say, letter writer, like, this is your fault. Uh, You allowed this, like, forest fire to get out of control. But just, like, you probably could have had this conversation with her 15 years ago. Right.
1: Exactly. And I mean, I appreciate – I mean, the thing about it is this question here is actually the letter writer's fault, right? So the, the fact that she – I mean, they admitted that – I could have addressed this sooner. I could have done things earlier. And if those things had been done earlier, then the letter writer might not be at this point right now. Now, would that have made a better relationship? Would Jane have changed her ways and seen the joy and beauty of herself? Like, probably not. But we might not have gotten to this point at this time. So, so there's, you know... It's interesting because I think we answered a similar question to this on Bental uh, on Bental Brief, where mm-hmm. fo- where someone was like, I have a friend who can't make friends, and how do they do that?' And the truth is that, like, we can't make other people do anything ever. They always have
0: to want to do it, right? I'm trying to think, like, as soon as you said that, I was like, or we just, like, force their hands and, like, make everything else impossible, Um, which is maybe… Maybe a
1: little too calculating, maybe the pendulum would swing a little bit too far in the other direction.
0: Yeah, like, I can't make you go down this road but I can cut off every other path <laughs> and make sure the retreat is impossible. But
1: maybe that side road led down to a deep ravine. I mean, it's you never know, right? I mean, mm-hmm. it's really tough. You know, the magic pill, like you're right. I think the magic pill piece was really telling, right? Because the answer is always going to be, you got to talk to the person. And mm-hmm. I remember reading an article several years ago at this point. I must have been in...
0: First of all, congratulations on remembering something you read a couple years ago. I feel like that's just gone for me.
1: (laughs) Well, this when you hear what I read, I remember reading some piece of data, a fact, what have you, that suggested that the average friendship lasts about seven years. And I think it was between women. I think that that was, I think there was some sort of gendered element to it. I believe that it was among women, between women, the average friendship lasts seven years. Uh-huh. That means obviously that some friendships last longer than seven years and some friendships last less than seven years. But when I see a story like this, my first question to myself is Is this a friendship that is still actually alive? Are both parties still finding mutual benefit, joy, support, happiness it, that? would be the hallmark of a friendship. And to me, it seems like to the letter writer, it's not that way anymore.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really useful thing for the letter writer to consider because I would have different suggestions if their goal was, I want to see if it's possible to reestablish our old closeness versus... I want things to be friendly enough between us that she doesn't say, hey, why don't we hang out anymore? But I don't want any more than that because that's going to have a really different strategic set of goals. Um, Absolutely. And both would be fine. Like it's totally understandable if you feel like, you know, we've, Grown apart over the last few years. And I just want like a maintenance plan whereby I can minimize the I'm just like the Christ talk, but mm-hmm. also don't necessarily have to have, to continue the metaphor, a lot of come to Jesus conversations with someone I don't want to be incredibly close with.
1: Exactly. Do you want to come work with me at Uprise? That was, you know, the way you just walked through the strategic questions that one would ask, depending on what you want the outcome to be, was very impressive. Sure. I must yeah, say. Let's do it. Let's do it. I think you're, I think, and you know, it said (laughs) when the letter writer wrote, I've made the mistake of excusing away her behavior while letting my resentment simmer. Mm -hmm. Another piece of just relationship observation advice I think about is that resentment is very hard to cure. Mm -hmm. Once it has built up, it becomes extremely difficult to not have it have an impact, which I think colors what you were just saying about what the letter writer wants to be true after this come-to-Jesus moment.
0: Yeah, and so letter writer, I want to kind of offer you a few tiers of options, because again, you you sound like you, you're you leaning towards, I want to have the smallest possible intervention with her without going into a laundry list of things that have been bothering me, and I want to do so politely. And so, like, the lowest level, I think, is, you know, not necessarily you want to talk to her about whether or not she enjoys her own company, not necessarily about how she has felt about other friendships ending. You would just like to let her know that the Jesus comparisons feel a little extreme. And I think that's possible to say. And I think if that's your goal and all you want to say is, hey, I feel a little weird bringing this up after the fact, but I've just noticed the last few times we talked, you've compared yourself to Christ being abandoned in Gethsemane. And that struck me as a little extreme, and I just wanted to check in, make sure you're kind of doing okay I, I can really understand the sadness of losing some close friendships, but I don't know that it's ever going to be useful to you to say, just like Christ in the garden, I am abandoned and let down by a bunch of losers. If her reaction to that is, how dare you, I'm just like Christ in the garden, there's not much you can do beyond saying, I can see that I've upset you. I'm sorry. Let's stop talking about it. And then you just back off. You just decline to have a fight that went badly, but you haven't lost something deeply important to you. Like you've said your piece, you decline to follow it up with a fight. Let it lie. If she takes it reasonably well, great. You, you know, you get her to stop saying, and and just like our Lord, um, I am earless and alone. Um Great. And you've gotten that one thing out of the way. And then you also don't then say, and by the way, here's twelve other things I hate about you. Right. That's tier one. Yes. And then you just you again, you leave that, you don't give her the impression that, like, oh, you responded well to that. Let me tell you the other things that I also think you're doing wrong. You just like, you know, tell her, Hey, you've reached like you're the you're the bumpers on the side of like a bowling lane. Like you've you swung too far. Got um it comparing yourself to, like, the leader of any religion, don't do it. You can be pretty self-obsessed, but when you start saying, like, I'm just like Moses, I'm just like Jesus, I'm just like Buddha, like, I, I your friend, will stop.
1: Yeah, that's usually a red flag for people who aren't your friend either, so... Yeah.
0: You know, if it's tier two, which is just, you want to say the Jesus thing is too much, and I also want to encourage you to reconsider... Some of the standards that you hold your friends to. Uh, you know, that might be more of a sorry, I'm really like continuing the like a Christian metaphors, but like that's more of a Hail Mary pass. Um, I don't know, sports. I shouldn't have brought that up. But like you're kind of hoping that you can I think actually- Hail Mary
1: would be the third tier based on it'd be like the the last ditch, farthest throw. Is it yeah. gonna work?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, so we'll, we'll we'll scrub that from this particular tier. But this tier is going to be you know, what you said about the Jesus thing. And then also, I think you can bring up one thing that I want to share with you is that occasionally in the past when I have had to cancel or reschedule plans with you, I've really dragged my feet because I've been afraid of what your response will be because I feel like there's not going to be any flexibility on your end. You're not going to try to understand where I'm coming from. You're just going to get mad. And that makes it hard for me to always let you know when I'm struggling or when I'm not doing well. I don't think that's your intention. I don't think that you react that way because you want me to feel uh, like a letdown, but it, that is how it has made me feel. And so I would love if you would maybe reconsider, you know, while I love the part of you that loves to like put on parties and do a lot for your friends, sometimes it also feels like you hold me to a really high standard. Um, and that's a lot for me to live up to. And I would love not for you to just like be loosey-goosey and say no worries all the time, but if you could maybe just like pause before reacting in that moment or ask if I'm doing okay um, before getting upset, you know, that would go a long way towards my feeling like we could maintain our closeness.
1: Daniel, you know, one thing I think about is we don't know if Jane Mm -hmm. has any mental, behavioral, emotional support out that might be clinical in nature it might be therapeutic in nature and I wonder if that's also something that the letter writer could bring up in tier in tiers two or when we get to tier three because that seems like what she might be bringing up in tier two and tier three Mm -hmm. might be easily understood within the context of support and therapy and counseling and the types of sort of insights that we can get about our own behavior and our own state when we listen to others. So I'm just curious if that—if that's if you're thinking about how that might show up mm-hmm. too.
0: Yeah. I know the letter writer mentioned that the, the anxiety and depression was diagnosed. So there's been at least some contact with a therapist or a doctor, but yeah, unclear, like, is she getting medication? Is she seeing a therapist? How honest is she being with that therapist? How much does that therapist see of the behavior with the other friends? So- I would say in either like tier two or tier three, depending on Jane's reaction. Like if because the thing about tier two is it's literally just again, one, the simple like I'm worried about the comparisons to Jesus. Like it's one thing to find comfort in a story of isolation, but I you know, I worry that you're taking like pleasure in a story that's just about abandonment for no good reason rather than I might have expectations that don't always like live up to other people's experiences. And that doesn't necessarily mean that they're Unworthy of me. And then you're sharing, you know, your own experience. You're not going yet in tier two into I've noticed this pattern happening with other people. You're just saying, you know, this one anecdote worries me. And here's something that's happened between us historically that I would love to see change. So if her reaction to that is like medium okay to good, like if she's anywhere in this sort of general spectrum of wow, I'm surprised to hear this, but I appreciate that you. Like share this with me, or I'll think about this, or I'm really sorry that I hurt you, then that might be a kind of good moment to bring up that could be like the follow up. yeah, um, but I think if you're if you're bringing someone like a complaint even a politely phrased complaint if you then also say and i worry that your anxiety and depression are playing a role in this and i want to make sure you like that to me that feels like that's three big things at once so hold yep. off see what her reaction is to those two things and then if she's open to it if she hears you out then you can follow it up with like just a question about like how is your anxiety it I, it seems to me like it plays into this i don't want to make assumptions you might feel really differently what do you think and kind of give mm-hmm. her a chance to say either Gosh, yeah, I do think that they're probably connected or I don't, I see these as two different things and which will which would be good data
1: for the letter writer anyway, right? I mean, if you know, if she decides that she wants to maintain this friendship and keep this intact for the foreseeable future, then knowing how Jane sort of sees these events
0: in their relationship would be really helpful too. Yeah. Yeah, and and I think really like In that case, then like tier three is really just do that and see how it goes. And if that goes well, if she's open to having that conversation with you, you know, maybe you don't have to talk it all out in one go, like really read the room. Like if it's taken you both an hour to get through what we've just described and like it's been a little fraught, you don't have to bring up and I've noticed a pattern that same afternoon. You might want to say. Let's put a pin in this. let's check in in a few days. Let's talk about something light because you know sometimes when you want to share information with a friend that you've been holding back, it can start to feel like if it goes a little bit okay, I better lay it all out on the line. and sometimes it's it's a lot to um, take on how other people see us. And I think everybody needs a little time to decompress after that sort of like out-of-body experience of other people experience me in ways that I don't experience myself. That's very upsetting. I need to lie down.
1: (laughs) Right? I think that's so, so correct. And, you know, once you've taken perhaps a step too far, it becomes doubly hard to take steps back from that, right? So I totally agree on some space and time between revelatory events let's just keep the religious metaphors going
0: yeah yeah and so again i would say that for that furthest intervention if these conversations go well and she's receptive to hearing a little bit more i i would try to walk a line between like i wouldn't encourage you to say I believe that like every time you've been hurt by a friend canceling plans or becoming less available, you were always in the wrong. You know, I think that would be a step too far. But I think, again, to like go through the lens of what she has said to you is always going to be your best bet because that keeps you from trying to guess or assume how other people experience their relationships with Jane. And so you could just say another thing that I've noticed is that you will often talk about people abandoning you. And I both like respect that that's a fear for you. And I also understand how that can be really painful. And I have also seen people ask for, I think pretty basic standard flexibility or a need to reschedule in a way that you have interpreted as like maximally hurtful, maximally thoughtless. Um, And you've pushed people away as a result and you've talked about them really harshly to me. And I... Looking back, wish that I had said something at the time. I didn't know how to mm. do so. I didn't want to just reject your pain, but I want to both say I understand why that felt painful to you, and I have also seen you create harshness and and miss out on opportunities to reconnect with people because of that. Like preemptive, this looks like it might involve rejection. I'm going to call it rejection ahead of time and push them away.
1: And and I think Daniel pain for others. I mean, the letter writer, clearly, she wrote us four paragraphs of what this relationship has felt like to her for the last few years and can see the beauty and the strengths and all that Jane brings to the relationship. And also, a lot of heartache has come from it, too. And I think being able to communicate that impact is such a big piece of being able to actually maybe salvage something or maybe have the right conversation that will allow both of them to move on if that's what it looks like it's going to be.
0: Right. And, you know, letter writer, maybe as you listen to this, you feel like, all right, I could see myself having the like Jesus conversation, but the rest just sound draining and not good. You don't have to do any of those. If, if part of what's just going on here is like, I'm dragging my feet now because I'm dreading the backlash. Like I'm dreading even just like not picking up the phone anymore because I know that the narrative she will tell herself is that just like everybody else, when the going got tough, I ditched her. And I really get that it's painful to think about somebody thinking or speaking ill of you, especially someone you've known a long time, but it'll also be useful whatever you choose to do. And what you choose to do next might be have none of these conversations with her. You're allowed to do that too. She might think of you as someone who abandoned her and you will need to figure out a way to make peace with that. That does not look like, you know, convincing her you're not abandoning her. Right. Because that will be impossible. Right. Whether you spend a lot of time trying to clear things up with her or you don't, you know, you will understand this as a friendship where she pushed people further and further away and made it clear that she did not want to hear honest reactions from other people. She wanted things along her standards or nothing. And that you eventually were like, I've been pushed so far out. I can't come any closer. And she will understand that differently. And, you know, that's sad and you can mourn that. But if if you're just thinking like, I have no joy in this friendship anymore. I don't even like talking to her anymore. I just do it often enough so that I'm not going to get vilified. Maybe that's the thing to start letting go of is just I'm never going to be able to live up to her standards where she's like, you know what, letter writer's the perfect friend. Letter writer is the one person who's redeemed the rest of humanity. You're never going to be able to do that without, you know, being in a totally like inauthentic version of your friendship with her. Right. Exactly. Did you feel like reading this, that there was like, did you think, I think this letter writer really just wants to be done? Or did you feel like, I think this letter writer really wants to try to be honest and see if there's reconnection uh, to be made here? Or just did it feel like total Rorschach test? Hard to say.
1: I feel like this person is done. I mean, when you ask for a magic pill that's going <laughs> to make communicating <laughs> not possible or super easy, like that's the that is the foundation for friendship is communication. So I think that she's done but doesn't want to be done partly because of the fear of being done with this particular person.
0: Yeah. And it's really hard because as difficult as it is to break up with someone you've been dating, it's also really difficult to imagine, do I even want to have a breakup conversation with a friend or does that just feel way too harsh? Like just saying to someone, I don't want to be friends anymore, just feel like I'd actually rather lose your number and have you get mad at me for ghosting than sit down and have that conversation.
1: I mean, I think about friendships of mine, seven years or less or more, that have ended. And very few of them ended with a conversation of, we can't be friends anymore because you, A, B, C, and I, D, E, F, like, that's not typically how it happens. And I think that more friendships should be broken up, (laughs) like relationships probably, because when they just sort of are left to wither and die on the vine, that's not as, I mean... I guess you can have it either way, ghosting or dying on the vine or what have you. But I think that we should begin to think about our friendships in in ways like we do relationships. Is it working? No, it's not. For these reasons, no, it isn't. And mm-hmm. they're not supposed to last forever.
0: Yeah, I, I think that there are so many different possibilities available to the letter writer. I don't think any of them are going to feel immediately and uncomplicatedly like the right thing to do. My, my guess is the letter writer will feel probably some peace if they at least try to say gently, like, I think the Jesus comparisons are too much. Yes. And then if that goes really badly, you can always just say, like, let's put a pin in this one, and then you can drift off as you need to. That's neither, like, listing all of her faults nor saying nothing. Um So that's probably what I would do in this situation is like try to have a little bit of a conversation about it. And then if it goes badly, just, you know, don't try to push it and have a longer conversation. But um, yeah, let us know what you do decide, letter writer. I'd be really curious to hear um, which of these possibilities sounded like, oh, I'm going to do – like sometimes you just – you feel very like lost and someone lists, well, you could do this, this, or that. And you're like, oh, the middle one. I'm doing that one right now, I'll tell you.
1: Yep. And then tell us how the conversation went. If you decided – to have a conversation. We'd love to know how that shook out.
0: Yeah, even if you two don't stay really, really close, I would love to think that maybe you could have that conversation with her and that would push her a little bit in the direction of not, oh my gosh, I'm a monster and everything's my fault. So much just like, okay, I've been too far gone down this like self-pity spiral and I need to find another way of reacting to people and connecting with them. I mean, that's a hard thing too is it can be so difficult to offer someone loving criticism in a way that's not just like you're bad um, or that's not received as you're bad and I don't like you and I think letting go of defensiveness is one of the best things that we can do when a friend is trying to offer us uh, a suggestion even if we don't ultimately agree with everything that they say um, it's hard to do and and we don't necessarily get a lot of practice so I think I should move us on to our second letter, which is, I think at least like they're in a very particular situation. And so maybe we, we can offer slightly more specific advice, which is kind of nice. Although in other ways, it's like a much worse situation. <laughs> so the subject is overreacting onlooker. My brother moved in with our parents about a year ago after losing his job due to his alcoholism. Since then, he's quit another job in a rage after a coworker confronted him about drinking at work. He's physically attacked our dad twice, totaled his car with his dog inside, gotten a DUI, and made a woman he was dating so uncomfortable that she contacted me on Facebook to ask for help getting him to stop calling her. Recently, he sent alarming texts to the family group chat, and then I spent hours on the phone talking him down from threatening suicide. This is the fourth time we've had a conversation like this. I'm tired of being treated like a crisis hotline. Because he has occasional good days, our parents don't believe his behavior is escalating. I think they're enabling him by refusing to set clear boundaries, get him into rehab, or even just acknowledge that this isn't a healthy environment for any of them. They say I'm overreacting. This is all distressing, and I wanna set better boundaries for myself, but I'm also afraid of disengaging since I'm the only person taking this seriously. My ability to help is limited since I don't live nearby. I've already sent them information on local crisis resources, therapists who take their insurance, Al-Anon meetings, etc. What are my responsibilities here? Can I stop answering their calls? Am I missing a way I can help?
1: Okay, so I can answer those Mm -hmm. three questions really easily. do it. (laughs) You are absolutely knocking your responsibilities out of the park here as a sister to your brother and daughter to your parents. I think that the letter writer has well enumerated, I mean, exactly what the parents can do to help, like giving them all of the tools that someone in this position could even possibly do. So your your, your responsibilities are the ones that you've already committed to and are executing on. Can you stop answering their calls? No. Am I missing a a way I can help? No. So I think the question here is, and when I read this letter, I thought about actually about my uh, one of my mother's brothers Mm. and Uncle Billy as a kid was um, he was the fun loving uncle who was super smart and would do calculus on the back of a napkin, could put together anything. He also went to Woodstock, traveled the country and the world. We weren't sure when we would see him as a kid because he was a free spirit and also had struggles with addictions to alcohol and drugs, right? And at some point in my late, Teens, early twenties, he ended up in the same town that my family is in now, Columbia, South Carolina. He was still an addict, an untreated addict. He was still largely unhoused at the time. And when we would see him, we would give him what we could. If I had, you know, if I would see him in the spot because I drove by his spot a lot, I'd give him twenty dollars if I had cash. Give him food if I had it, and. You know, I talked to my mom about Uncle Billy and who he was his entire life. And she also played that role. She was a social worker and an attorney, so she played that role to a very high level of execution for many, many years. But you can only do so much for someone in that situation and in that setting. And I really feel like the letter writer is doing all of that so well. And I think... In my family, at least, we became okay with the fact that there was suffering that we could not eliminate and that we could not actively prevent anymore mm-hmm. because it was his choice and that was his choice. You know, I, I read this letter and I was like, wow, she's really doing the absolute most here and until and unless her parents can feel some degree of responsibility to the level that she is exhibiting, then it's going to be really hard for her brother to get what he needs.
0: Yeah. I think all that's incredibly useful. I, I think one thing that I do want to add to that and, you know... um Letter writer, you might find yourself leaning more towards one of us than the other, but I just want to throw out the possibility you can consider not taking their calls. You are allowed to do that. That might have its own repercussions that might be challenging in different ways, but you can consider it. You don't have to do it. Um, You can also consider taking fewer of their calls. Um, So I, I want there to be kind of a spectrum in between either I pick up every time any one of them calls, no matter what I drop, what I'm doing or i never pick up the phone anymore i go like maximal no contact until you know whatever such such threshold they cross or such like behavior they stop bringing to my attention you can thread a different path if you want you can say like i'll check in on the phone with you guys like once a week but outside of that time you know i might not be available when you call and that also again you know invites questions about Does that sound really daunting to you? Does the idea of not answering one of their calls make you feel like, I don't know what I would do. I would just sit there feeling so guilty that I wouldn't be able to move on with my day. And to that end, I would suggest letter writer, give yourself the gift of going to those Al-Anon meetings yourself. Mm. You know, it's not like Al Anon is the punishment you incur because you failed to stop your brothers drinking or convince your parents of something. It's not something you go to when you're in trouble to learn how to be better. It's a support network that you, I think, deserve access to right now. And I would encourage you to look up, you know, Al Anon meetings in your area. Um, If you want to look specifically for uh, like agnostic or atheist Al Anon meetings, there are often um, groups of people like within that particular subset. If kind of standard issue Al-Anon meetings feel uh, like they're too spiritually or supernaturally minded for you, those those are definitely, definitely available to you. But at the very least, you will be in a room of other people who have also loved alcoholics and have also had to deal with family networks of, you know, complicity, enabling, minimizing, um, and who know what it's like.
1: That's so true. I appreciate you saying that, you know, that the letter writer could not take calls could take some calls I think that it might get to that place mm-hmm. I don't think the letter writer is there right now I agree but my suspicion is that as she begins to set those boundaries it that will become I actually have to step away right and I actually do need to go no contact she it's so clear that she cares so much I actually am not sure. And this is where, like, we get all sort of, like, Talmudic on Bentlebrief. We're, like, asking the questions and reading in between the lines. I can't tell if she could actually live with herself going no contact. The idea that the next call that she gets could be one that is sharing that her brother has died by suicide. Like, I, I you know, it's a really personal, subjective
0: question. Not that if you stop taking calls, it is going to be your fault if something bad happens, whether that means your brother successfully attacks your father and causes him serious harm or attacks somebody else or hits someone with his car or, you know, completes a a suicidal gesture. Um, Just the question is, what do you want and what do you feel capable of right now and what more support do you need to make other choices in the future? So. I can sometimes go quickly to, this is distressing. You've tried helping. They don't want help. Just look out for yourself. Go into a chrysalis. Stop taking their calls. Um, And that's not what everyone wants. That's not what everyone's prepared for. That's not what everyone needs. So, yeah, I really want you to feel like you have options in between. Pick up every single time and, you know, delete their numbers, block their numbers. And I really, really think that um, going to Al-Anon meetings, you know, Going to more than one, looking for people that you connect with or who you feel like you have something in common with, letting go of stuff that doesn't feel useful to you, setting that to the side will hopefully be really useful as you try to think about how do I live my life in a state of non-emergency, even though people I love are making unsafe and and alcoholic decisions. And I include your parents as well as your brother in that because you deserve that and you have the right to pursue a non-emergency-based life. And that's gotta rest upon something other than successfully managing your your alcoholic brother and your enabling parents. Because if that's the only route for like a safe, sane, healthy, loving life for you, that would mean you would have to become God uh, and, and force three people right. to live according to your, you know, decision making. And and that's just not possible. So I do want something else for you. Again, that's really difficult. It can be really difficult to think of what would it, what would I actually need to be able to say if I got a call from my brother. He was rambling. He was drunk. He was high. He was making suicidal threats. He was threatening other people. What would I need in order to say, I encourage you to call a doctor or a crisis hotline, but I can't have this conversation with you again? And then actually hang up, like what would I need to feel okay doing that? Because letter writer, I can tell you all day that that is an okay thing for you to do and believe it sincerely. You know, conversations with you are not like the medically prescribed treatment for suicidal depression or alcoholism. Um, your brother can access help without calling you every time he wants to hurt himself. But it's, it's another question entirely to figure out what do you need in order to be able to make that call or make that decision. And so I would also encourage you maybe to share this plan with a friend or two of just like, I want to start getting to a place where if he does call me in crisis, I can give him again, like, here's the number that you can call in your area. I'm going to go and ask for your friend support, ask for Al-Anon support, ask for a therapist support, because that's something I want you to feel like surrounded by community and so doing.
1: Mm, So spot on there. Daniel I I don't have a thing to add except best wishes and a lot of love.
0: Yeah, and you know letter writer I have not been in this exact position before but you know as you know I have you know become successfully estranged from my family and I have also had to contend with you know relatives attempting to tell me, you know, don't file a report because your brother will kill himself if you do. So it's not worlds apart from this and one of the things that I think I've talked about previously on the show, but that I also had to make my own peace with was, you know, when I was filing reports about my brother's work with children, which was unsafe and, and unsustainable and something that I knew that I had to stop. And they said, don't do it. If you do, he might kill himself. You know, first, what I said to them was, if you think he's going to hurt himself, take him to the hospital. Don't tell me. Um, but the second thing that I had to kind of do just within my own self was say, and if he dies. He dies. And I didn't say that lightly or flippantly or, you know, who cares? But genuinely, if he dies, he dies. I, it I de- is not your responsibility. Yeah, and I, I declined that responsibility. I don't believe that anyone else is responsible for that. And it, it was um, a bleak but a peaceful uh, place to, to begin acting from. And so one of the things that I do want you to kind of just think about, talk about, discuss with uh, other people in Al-Anon, with some friends, is your brother might die. Um, And he might die soon. He might die violently. He might die by suicide. He might die in a car accident. He might take out other people with him. I hope that he doesn't. But that might happen. And that might happen even if you were taking every single phone call that you were getting. Um, exactly. And so, yeah, I think what I've been kind of talking around is like there's this hope that if I do all the exact right things, I will evade the crisis, we will avoid the crisis, and the crisis might come, and you have to figure out how do you live. Yeah, no matter what. Yeah, and then the only other thing that I'll add in there is, you know, again, for me, I needed to file reports once I had learned enough information about the, like, unsupervised work that my brother had with children. Um you you might have something on your list of if i hear that he is like driving drunk with other people if i hear that he is physically attacking my father what are the lines for me where if i hear news i'm going to have to file a report call the city's you know emergency line take into account the possible repercussions that might come from involving the state in this like when would i feel like i have to make a deal right now i have to make a report i have to take this out of my family's hands maybe there's not Uh, A situation where you would decide to do that. But if there is, I think it's helpful to know in advance because then you can at least prepare yourself for, oh, my mom's about to get real mad at me.
1: Yeah. I mean, Daniel, I think as part of your plan that you were, you know, recommending that the letter writer go through, you know, go to Al Anon meetings, disclose what your plans are with others. Like this is part of that planning. This is part of getting ready to be okay with not doing everything that you did before. And I think that. What you just said, as bleak and dark as it may sound, being prepared for that possibility is going to be part of preparing herself for stepping away and for stepping back and for putting in place some of those boundaries. You know, we're not responsible for anyone's happiness, life, or death.
0: Yeah. I, I think the last thing I'll add, I know I've said that once or twice already, but, you know, you just mentioned, Letter writer that he has at least once driven drunk with his dog in the car and gotten in an accident. One of the, you know... Places you might consider contacting that are outside of your family remit would be um animal control. I again like you, you can also contact like your parents' cities out like depending on how old your parents are, like elder care. Like if you know that he is regularly endangering or threatening his relatives, the animals in the house. Again, the question might just become: is there a point at which I would file that report rather than call my mom and dad and ask again, please do something? But where I would say, please check on this dog. I'm worried about this dog. Please check on you know this elderly man who I believe was just beaten up by his son, knowing full well that your parents might say, I can't believe you made that report. I'll never forgive you.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're doing so much right, letter writer. You're literally doing so much right. And I think Daniel has just laid out a couple of key steps that make a lot of sense for the right now.
0: And I just wish you nothing but a wealth of support, a massive community around you, tons of people that you can rely on for help right now because you're trying to fight a battle on so many different fronts. I think that's all I've got to say on this one. So, uh, if you're if you're amenable, I'd love to hear a little bit more about my new job working with you um, at, at Brief. What's it, what's it like? What's it going to entail? What okay, do you so guys I've Got do? two jobs.
1: So at Bental Brief, we do something similar to what you do here on Big Mood, Little Mood. We answer questions with um, a Jewish twist and with Jewish style, if you will. I, I made a reference to being sort of Talmudic with it, right? Like we we sort of, are, we act like the rabbis of the Talmud where we're asking questions and we're reading between the lines and we're wondering this and wondering that. Um, and we also take a dive back into the forward's archive. So the Bental Brief is a product of the forward, which is country's longest uh, running Yiddish newspaper. It used to be called the Forverts in Yiddish. And so we go back to old letters that people used to write into Bental Brief. We were um, kind of, the Forward was the address for the Eastern European Jewish immigrant community at the turn of the century. I mean, really just, it was a voter registration site. It was a place where people got their mail. It was a place where people just had community meetups. And it was the publisher of the newspaper that every Eastern European Yiddish-speaking Jew read for dozens and dozens of years. And so we decided to bring the Bental Brief, which was their advice column that was in print, into podcasts. And so that's what Lynn Harris and I do, and Hannah Pollack as our archivist who helps us delve back into the history and prove that the more things change, the more they stay the same. Because some of the questions that come from uh, eras past are so just applicable to the current moment. And it really just goes to show that circumstances change. But the human condition, it really doesn't. It does actually stay the same or stay similar across time and place and space. And that's what's really what I love about Vental. But the job I would have you do... I assume I'm, I'm just, just the,
0: the, the, the Sabbath goy.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Whoa. Okay. You can use that term, but I would never say that out loud and I would never even say it quietly either, but I would love for you to come work with me at Uprise, which is my firm where I work with amazing clients doing good work out in the world, just helping them ask the right questions, get the right answers and do the right things. So that's where I would want you Daniel. Just point me in a direction and tell me which light switches to flip. You don't want to do two advice podcasts, right? You don't want to do two advice podcasts. That would be too much. I want to hang out with you. There we go. I do like to hang out with people and I'm always welcoming new people onto into my Rolodex.
0: So yes, let's do it. That sounds fabulous. So does it feel like Uprise is maybe more of like an outward facing organization that like incorporates, like it's, it sounds like that's one that does more like some Jewish organizations, some not.
1: Yeah. So in our practice, we have some Jewish organizations, some non-Jewish organizations. The thing that keeps them all together is they're the good guys of all genders, is what we say. So, you're
0: categorically good. We work with you.
1: You're categorically good. We will work with you. Exactly. See, you pick up so quickly. I guess That's I'm just, just
0: categorically good. <laughs> and I guess...
1: That could be. It seems like it. It seems like it. And anyone who disappoints so me or
0: fails to live up my to my expectations, is simply, like the disciples in the garden, insufficiently <laughs> courageous and principled to hang. But I, in my, you know, munificence, will forgive them. <laughs> as I, I thought
1: we were going to dispense with our religious metaphors and references.
0: I'll never do that if it uh, means that I can't say something megalomaniacal.
1: <laughs> Understood. I always, and do that. I always And supported. always. And supported. Always do.
0: I'm simply always uh, the specialist little birthday boy in the history of the world. That's amazing. It's terrible. I need it's more of good. those people in my life, actually. It, it is such a like a way of forestalling real intimacy and closeness. And it is also incredibly tempting. I always want to be the world's only birthday boy. And just like, you know, I'm chock full of interiority and good intentions and everyone else is only their actions. Um, nobody gets credit. Just me. Hey, okay, well, you were doing really well <laughs>
1: until you sort of brought in, I don't know, like uh, sort of a little Jeff Bezos-like mental like ethos in that last bit there. So let's share a little bit more of the credit and the love.
0: Great. I get it, though.
1: Yeah, no. I get it, though.
0: It, we can call it the little Lord Fauntleroy disorder. <laughs>
1: <laughs> We've named it.
0: What's the next DSM coming out? We've we've got it. I've got to... They've got to name something after me on there. Like, okay. I just... I, well, I must. This can be an
1: uprise campaign. Can we get yeah, little Lord Fauntleroy in the DSM-7? DSM which, whichever one is next. Oh, my God.
0: Oh, my God. <laughs> I think wanting... We're on it. Wanting on to be it. in it has got to be... Our be. Passion, it'll, it'll
1: be our passion project. <laughs>
0: we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um... <laughs> Gina, thank you so, so much for joining me on the show today. This has just been such a delight. Thank you for having me. I had a blast. I had a blast. Yeah, and I just hope everyone does exactly what we say, and then the world will work perfectly. Boom. It's very simple.
1: It's totally simple. Just listen to what we say, everybody.
0: We're just a couple of special little birthday guys. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Love it. Um, Gina, thank you again, and I hope you have a fabulous rest of the day. You too. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us on Big Mood, Little Mood with me, Danny Lavery. Our producer is Phil Circus, who also composed our theme music. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash mood to sign up to subscribe or hit the subscribe button on whatever platform you're using right now. Thanks. Also, if you can, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to know what you think. If you want more Big Mood, Little Mood, you should join Slate Plus, Slate's membership program. Members get an extra episode of Big Mood, Little Mood every Friday, and you'll get to hear more advice and conversations with a guest. And as a Slate Plus member, you'll also be supporting the show. Go to slate.com forward slash mood plus to sign up. It's just $1 for your first month. If you'd like me to read your letter on the show... Maybe you need a little advice, maybe some big advice. Head to slate.com slash mood to find our Big Mood, Little Mood listener question form. Or find a link in the description on the platform you're using right now. Thanks for listening. And here's a preview of our Slate Plus episode coming this Friday. This would be bad behavior if you were all in junior high school it would be you know they all need to get yelled at by their parents and like seriously reconsider uh, how they're developing as human beings but this is a bunch of like grown co-workers trying to like ambush you at a like zoom happy hour where they can all like quiz you on gayness like
1: but that's, that's the thing Daniel You they don't have work to do you nailed it because if my kids came home and said that some shit like this went down in fact Something like this did go down at my charter school the last week in eighth grade via a Google chat, via, I mean, homophobia, racism, you name it.
0: To listen to the rest of that conversation, join Slate Plus now at slate.com forward slash mood.